0: It's fascinating, I think, uh, to see the way theology is often reflected in fiction. Uh, The the stories that we tell, many of them, uh, are clearly influenced by the great truths of Scripture. Uh, And the story of Jesus, a king who comes to save and lead his people, well, that's a story that's reflected in popular media, books, movies, uh, over and over. Uh, I'm a fan of The Lord of the Rings don't know whether you are too. Uh, I read the books when I was in high school and went to see uh, the movies when they came out on Boxing Day, three years running. Uh, it's not hard to see the themes of scripture reflected in J.R.R. Tolkien's stories. The Return of the King is the third book of the trilogy, and uh, one of the main plot lines centres on Aragorn, heir to the throne of Gondor. Uh, this is what he looks like in the movies. Uh the people of Middle-earth are in great battle with the evil Lord Sauron. The key battle towards the end of the book centres on uh, the, uh, the city of Gondor. And Aragorn, well, he's by birth uh, the rightful heir to the throne there. Uh, and Aragorn, uh, well, the people have been waiting for this heir to return, uh, to return and claim the throne. And Aragorn does so in style. The elf king Elrond reforges a magical sword for Aragorn which proves he is king and lets him regain his birthright. Aragorn uses a sword to claim the allegiance of an army of of men trapped by a curse in the realm of the dead. Uh, Yep, It's a pretty fascinating story. Uh, And as king, he promises to release them from their curse if they'll fight for him. He leads this army to Gondor where at the, the last pitch of the battle he overtakes the forces of Sauron and saves the city from from certain defeat and death. He then takes his place as King of, as King of Gondor, and lots of other stuff happens <laughs> before the book then finally ends. Uh, now, J.R.R. R. Tolkien was a devout Roman Catholic, uh, and while he hated allegory, the, the Lord of the Rings is not written as a Christian allegory at all, uh, you can certainly see elements of Christian theology throughout his stories. The long-awaited king who comes with the authority to sit on the throne and with the power to save his people from evil and lead them to a better future. But that's as far as we'll draw that illustration because while Tolkien's stories are fiction, entertaining, but pure fiction, the story of Jesus is absolutely true Uh, and far more complex and impressive and powerful than any work of fiction. Uh, Matthew's Gospel his account of the life and teaching of Jesus shows us a long awaited King, the Son of God, no less, who is born to save his people from sin and death, and who calls his people to follow him as he takes his place as the King of God's everlasting kingdom. Jesus is God's Saviour King, who has the authority and power to save his people. The first four chapters of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, as we'll see, establish Jesus' identity and his authority. Uh, his identity and authority as Saviour, as King, and as the Son of God. Uh, and then much of the book, uh, much of the Gospel, shows us this, this authoritative figure in his teaching, in his actions, the narrative of his life, shows us uh, pe- him, uh, Jesus calling his people to follow him, teaching them how to live as his disciples. Uh, chapter 4, verse 19, has Jesus calling his first disciples, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Gives us some, my, uh, some info there about the task of Jesus' followers as well. By the end of the book, uh, and we've looked at the, the Great Commission already this year, Jesus declares his authority and his presence with his disciples as they obey the command to go out and fish for people, to make disciples to call others to follow him. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This theme of discipleship, uh, this theme of, of, of what it means to follow Christ uh, is throughout the gospel. The entire gospel has been called uh, by some commentators a manual of discipleship. Uh, As we work our way through the gospel, we'll look at five distinct sections of teaching from Jesus, uh, starting with the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll come to in just a few weeks. Uh, distinct sections of teaching uh, which, uh, along with everything in the gospel, help us to see what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, help us to grow as disciples of Jesus. Help us to uh, teach us how to help our fellow Christians grow as followers of Jesus, and and helps us to know how to call others to follow Jesus too, those who are not yet Christians. In the first few chapters of the gospel, as I mentioned, lay the foundation of Jesus' identity and authority. They give us the reasons to follow Him. From chapter one, verse one, Matthew's genealogy shows that Jesus is the saviour king. He is the king, the Christ, sent by God to save his people and to bring the nations into his kingdom. Uh, Verse 1, Matthew 1 verse 1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David and Abraham are two very important people in the history of Israel, uh, two uh, crucial characters in in the history of, of Christianity. Uh, And Matthew affirms Jesus is physically, humanly descended from these men. To be descended from King David means that Jesus is king. Uh, Jesus is the king the people have been waiting hundreds of years for. Uh, The king God promised he would send centuries ago. Uh, Have a look at uh, one of these promises in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7 from halfway through verse 11. This is the prophet Nathan giving God's promise to King David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now Solomon uh, was the son born to David who took up the throne next. He did build a house for God's name. He built the temple uh, but he didn't live forever, and he wasn't the perfect king. Who would come to rule in this kingdom that will be established forever? Who who would come to sit on the throne of this forever kingdom? Who would this king, this Messiah, be? Well Matthew is affirming that it is Jesus. Uh, and that's how this genealogy would have been heard by Jewish people at the time. Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is king. And he is the king who has come to save his people from their sins. To save his people and to fulfill God's promise to bless all nations. Uh, That's why Abraham is so important in the genealogy. Another promise made by God even more centuries ago, a promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through him. And this too is a promise fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God's people have been waiting centuries to see fulfilled. How will God bless all peoples on earth through the offspring of Abraham? Uh, who is the one who will fulfill this promise and make it happen? It's a pretty broad task. Well, Again, Matthew is saying it's Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham through whom God will bless all peoples on earth. The final couple of verses of The book, as we read earlier, make God's plan clear. Uh, The plan for the good news of salvation to be spread to the ends of the earth. The salvation Jesus brings will be preached to all nations and people of all nations will be brought into God's kingdom through Jesus uh, in fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham. Even here in the genealogy that we've just read, there are hints of that plan happening. A number of names come up that, that are names of people who are not Israelites. Uh, it's rare to see names of, of women in genealogies. Most genealogies in the Bible, in Hebrew culture, uh, simply list the male line. Occasionally the name of the, the wife of a patriarch comes up, but it's rare. And so when you see several women in a genealogy, like we do here, it's worth paying attention. Why, why are those names in there? What do they teach us? And All of the women mentioned here, except for Mary, are either non-Israelites or married to non-Israelites. First of all, Tamar in verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, Judah is the patriarch of the tribe of Judah. The Jews as a people are named after Judah, and this is the tribe that the kings of Israel come from. Tamar, who is the mother of Judah's two sons, Perez and Zerah, she was a Canaanite, and she's actually Judah's daughter-in-law. Uh, Judah and Tamar's relationship uh, was not a, not a, a, a happy one. Uh, it was filled with broken promises, deceit, and sexual immorality. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 38. But we find, even with that difficult history, this Gentile woman, this Canaanite, a key part of Jesus' genealogy. In verse 5, we have two women mentioned who are also non-Israelites. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Uh, Rahab being the woman from Jericho who sheltered two Israelite spies when they first entered the land of Canaan. Uh, She traded her hospitality for her life, uh, and the Israelites spared her when they conquered Jericho. Uh, And Ruth, in the second half of verse 5, was a, a Moabite refugee. Moab, it was another nation that were enemies with Israel. As a widow, Ruth returned to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law Naomi and this young woman from a foreign land should have had no prospects or expectations in Israel. And yet she married and gave birth to the grandfather of King David, became part of the story of God's redemption of his people. You don't usually see women mentioned in uh, Israelite genealogies. So when you do, it's worth taking notice. It's highly significant that three non-Israelites are part of Jesus' genealogy. Remembering the reference to Abraham in verse 1, remembering God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham, well, we see the promise, the beginning of that promise being fulfilled, uh, even here in the family line of the Messiah. Now, down in verse 6, uh, we see clearly that Jesus is also descended from King David. the end of verse 5 and into verse 6, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was born to David through the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Uh, while probably an Israelite herself, Bathsheba was married to a non-Israelite, And before the king, before King David, uh, the, the history of King David and Bathsheba too, like uh, Judah and Tamar, is a, a troubled one. King David slept with Bathsheba while Uriah was away at war. He had Uriah killed to cover his indiscretion. When Bathsheba fell pregnant, and then took Bathsheba to be his own wife. Again, uh, non-Israelites involved. Uriah, the Hittite. This isn't a, a, a whitewashed. Uh, purely Israelite line, and, and it's not whitewashed in terms of the sin involved either. If you look hard enough into any of the people's lives in this genealogy, it becomes very clear why they need a saviour. Uh, for the most part, uh, you don't have to look very hard at all. Uh, the sin is there as, as Matthew's readers read this genealogy. Further down in verses 7 to 11, we have a list of kings following on from David, some of whom were, were good kings and others who were awful kings, kings who turned away from God, who abused their power, who abused their people. Uh, it's a good thing that Jesus is descended from King David. He, he is the king who God promised centuries before, but the kingly line Jesus is born into is a line of imperfect humans, all waiting for God's perfect king to come and save them. Uh, and to rule them forever on the throne of God's eternal kingdom. If this family history wasn't true, Matthew would hardly have written it. Uh, There are reasons here to discount Jesus, Uh, the involvement of Gentiles at key points, the sin and immorality involved. And at least to outward appearances, that extends to Jesus' own birth. He was conceived out of marriage Uh, which today might not raise any eyebrows, but in Mary's day, Mary and Joseph's day, uh, was shameful. To the untrained observer, it appears that Jesus was an illegitimate child like so many in his family line. Even Joseph thinks this is the way it is at first. Uh, Have a read from verse 18 with me. We'll read the birth narrative. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now God's, God's plan of salvation looks like it could be derailed before it starts. Joseph makes the assumption that most men would and he wants to end the relationship quietly for Mary's sake. But Jesus' story isn't like the story of so many of his ancestors. Read verses 20 to 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' conception is a miracle and his life as a man will mean salvation for his people. Jesus' name is the Greek form of Joshua, which means God saves. Jesus is the Christ, the promised king, the Messiah sent by God to save his people from their sins. Going back to the genealogy, this is why it's important to show that Jesus is descended from David and Abraham. Uh, God promised David that Someone from his family would rule forever. God would provide a king who would establish God's kingdom, who would sit on the throne of that kingdom forever. Jesus is that forever king. And God promised Abraham he would bless all nations through him. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. through the salvation Jesus provides, he fulfills that promise. These are promises that only God can fulfill. How does God blessed the nations through Jesus, well, by saving his people from their sins. Again, the angel uh, there says to Joseph in verse 21, he were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew was giving his readers compelling reasons to follow Jesus. Jesus' very name tells us why he came and why we should follow him. People name their children for different reasons. Often the parents simply like the name. As I mentioned to the kids this morning, my first name is Bradley. I think my parents just liked that name. Uh, it is from an old English word meaning broad meadow. It doesn't say anything particular about me or my personality, unless maybe, uh, probably not. Um, some parents have other reasons for naming their children. There was a couple in Indonesia, as I also mentioned to the kids, back in 2019, who named their child Google. I'm sure of their reasons. I don't know why they did that, but it certainly got some attention. I think Google even sent some gifts to this child on their birthday. Jesus was named, though, for a very specific reason. Jesus' name tells us that he is God bringing salvation to his people. His purpose in being born is to save his people from their sins. Jesus' own family tree tells us how much people need this promised salvation Uh, and we know that's true for us too. Everyone has mess and sin in their family tree and it's not just in our past. (laughs) It's not just the people that came before us who were bad, sinful. Uh, Sin is the mess that people create every day that shows that we need saving. We damage relationships with our pride and selfishness. We do things we know we shouldn't do. We, We don't do the things that we know we should do. We try to rule our lives without God and we make a mess of it. We're all caught in the messy reality of sin. It's a symptom of our broken relationship with God. That's, that's why sin is there in our lives, because our relationship with God is broken. We've rejected God and live in our own way instead of His way. And well, God has to do something about that. He can't leave us rejecting Him forever. He, loves us too much to leave us in that state. Uh, and sin has to be punished, wrongs have to be righted if God is still to be a holy God. And so as humans, we face the punishment for our sin. And That's where Jesus comes in. Uh, Jesus was born into this messy, sinful world. But he never took part in that sin. Uh, we'll see that very clearly demonstrated when we come to chapter 4. Jesus never, never sinned, was born fully human, but is the only human to have ever lived who didn't sin. He is different from every other person in that very important way. And so Jesus has the, the collateral, uh, he has the ability, he has the right to take the punishment of sin for others. He had to be human because only a human can take the punishment that is due to humans. And so he came as a man to. Take the punishment for sin that men deserved. Uh, And he can do this. He can take that punishment and offer forgiveness because he is also God. Only God can forgive sin. The one who is wronged has to be the one to forgive. And so if we've sinned against God, well, only God can forgive us. If anyone else tried to take the punishment for our sin, it, it wouldn't work. And so Matthew tells us too that Jesus is God with us. Uh, Verses 22 and 23, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who said centuries before that God would come to earth as a man. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This all lays the foundation for Jesus' identity and his authority over sin. He is the king promised by God, born to save us from our sins. Uh, That is why we can trust and follow him as our saviour. Isaiah says a little more about that child Emmanuel in in Isaiah chapter 9. Just a couple of uh, chapters after the the quote there in Matthew, Isaiah 9 verses 6 to 7. Jesus was born in humble circumstances, yet he is the promised king and saviour sent by God to save us from our sins. He grew up to become a man who would give his life, dying on a cross to pay the penalty for sin, to receive the punishment that should be ours, and would rise back to life again to sit forever on the throne of God's heavenly kingdom. And now through believing in him, Believing in him and his sacrifice, we can be forgiven have our sins paid for. Have the hope of eternal life to look forward to. What greater news could we hear as sinful people? Uh, What greater news could we dwell on? And for our part, we are simply uh, to receive the salvation that is freely offered and follow Jesus. Uh, We will learn, Jesus will teach us how we can better do this as we read Matthew's Gospel together. Let's pray and ask him to continue teaching us. Please pray with me. Now, Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for your grace and mercy and compassion. In the face of our sin, we praise you the salvation that you give in your son, Jesus. We praise you and thank you uh, that Jesus uh, was born to save us from sin. We thank you that through Jesus' death on the cross and his rising to life again, we have forgiveness. We have the hope of eternal life. Remind us daily, Lord, of Jesus' power and authority. Remind us daily of what he has done for us and how we ought to follow him. Help us to learn more uh, more and more as we read your word, as we read through the Gospel of Matthew together. Help us to learn more and more of what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Help us to help each other in following Jesus and help us in calling others to receive this same forgiveness for sin and to follow Jesus too. Lord, we pray all of this for your glory and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.